This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm editor-at-large and editorial cartoonist in Mississippi Today. Our guest today is Paul Elias. He recently made history as the very first bass fisherman to be inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Now, Paul said that when he was, uh, he was too small to play football, he was pretty good at baseball, but he was really, really good at fishing when growing up. A Mississippi through and through, Paul's a native of Laurel and a Southern Miss grad. He turned pro in 1979. He won the Bassmaster Classic in Montgomery in 1982. 26 years later, he set a record that still stands for the largest four-day five-bass limit of 132 pounds, eight ounces, in a tournament at Lake Falcon in Texas, which is right there on the border of Mexico and Texas. Great interview. Looking forward to talking to Paul in just a second. Uh, Before we get to Paul, I just wanted to congratulate Lacey for being named the new head coach at Texas A&M University. I hope your buyout is about $100 million. And <laughs> Me too. Poor Jimbo, man. I don't know what he's going to do for Thanksgiving. I guess he'll just roll around in his Scrooge McDuck pool of cash I know. that he's I, got. I can't imagine that he's... I'm sure he's just heartbroken to be sitting in those millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, wiping the tears with the $100 bills. Yeah, right. I, see, seriously, I mean, I love that. I remember one time I got fired from a job. It was great. Um, they fired me, and they gave me one month's severance. It was incredible. I just laid around for a whole month. It was fantastic. So I know he'll be doing the same. But, yeah, this is the season when coaches start falling like leaves off of the trees. So, And I saw Mississippi State let Zach Arnett go after less than a year uh, as their head coach as well. So they'll be looking for a new coach. So, you know, you may be coaching before you know it. Honestly, if I can get the kind of money Jimbo Fisher's got right now, I'll, I'll go coach. I mean, it's great. I mean, I would used to think that being an editorial cartoonist meant you got paid for not being good. But that really is a good gig. Now, you got to understand, there's a lot of pressure if you're head coach. And I, I have to admit also, as an editorial cartoonist, I've never filled up a 70,000, 80,000-seat stadium with my editorial cartoon. So I doubt they're going to be throwing that cash at me. But bam, ooh, it's huge. Big, big news. I, I didn't. That was a thing. I was kind of surprised he lasted as long as he did. But I guess in Texas A&M, they, they probably like just had to deal, drill another oil well or something to pay for it. Yeah, if all I've got to do is have a few bad seasons and, and do a very poor job. I would be so rich right now. Me too. I would be literally like, I'd be driving a Brinks truck to work. It'd be incredible. So, yeah, great. Now, that the last show, which was fantastic, I'm a big fan of Deep South Dining and, and their hosts, of course, but they had a box of Little Debbie Christmas cakes, and they left it in here, in the studio, when I came in here. And I didn't see it because if I had seen it, because Java came slipping in just like he was like, you know, like a ninja and grabbed the box before I could see it and ran off with it, I would have taken it and made it disappear. I could live under a bridge and eat those all day long. I love those things. You weren't quick enough, Marshall. Huh? You were not quick enough. No, no, I'm losing a step. I really am. It's great. Now, I'm excited about our guest today. I know you are too. Uh, What a great story. Number one, to be a pro fisherman is almost as cool to me, actually, it is a lot cooler than being an editorial cartoonist, but it's like one of those things It's like, how do you get a job doing that, doing what you love to do and get paid to do it? And man, Paul has done it and he's done it for a long time. So without further ado, why don't we just pull him in? How about that? 
All right, Paul, thank you for being on the show today. It is an honor to get to meet you. And I'm going to pass this along from my high school football coach who loves to, to bass fish. He, is, he knew you. He actually has a couple of questions that I'm going to ask uh, throughout this for you as well. So, um, But it's an honor to get to, to talk to you, and congratulations on the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame honor. Uh, thank you, Marshall. It really, it really is a great honor. I was, I got to say, I was surprised uh, and uh, just really humbled by it. Yeah, when did you find out? Did they just call you up one day and say, hey, you made it in? And you're like, who? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of ironic because I knew he's actually a fraternity brother of mine. Uh, uh, Bobby Cleveland used to write for the outdoors for the. Okay. Wait a minute. We're going to back up for half a second. You and Bobby were fraternity brothers. Yes. Okay. Bobby and I sat next to each other for 15 years. And I love Bobby Cleve. I miss him so desperately. But um, wow. Okay. So anyway, you, your cool points just jumped off the charts. Um, was he as absolutely funny at, back then as he was later on in life? Yeah, he was a great guy, man. He, he just, you know, I had he was in the boat with me. Now, I don't know how many times doing articles and stuff. But you know, he just he told me he said I'm on. He said, man, I'm gonna nominate you to going to the Sports Hall of Fame, and I, I was like, yeah, well, go ahead. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I forgot about it. And he told me I'd been nominated, and uh, it, it didn't go through that year, and I didn't, I just thought it was done, you know, and I, I'd forgotten about it. And then I got that phone call, and I don't know, it was at least three or four years later, I guess, and and uh, was really surprised. I know Bobby's smiling on that. And, and you know, I have to you – know, of course, you know Rick as well, uh, his brother. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I should have figured you went to Southern Miss. I figured – and I guess the age is about right on there. You, you went in with a really good class this year too. I mean, you had from Eli Manning to Red Barber to Savante Stringfellow. So there was just – I mean, it was – I mean, that was and, – and you. I mean, it was a great class. Oh, yeah. It makes you proud to – see who you're going in with like that that's that is an awesome class so when you had to give your speech um which had to be kind of nerve-wracking because i i mean now i see you on social media and you're really good talking about fishing and everything what were some of the things that you talked about when you when you accepted uh you know it was just just really a quick thing i just talked about being uh you know you said it a little earlier, you know, I, I love playing all the sports and I wasn't, uh, you know, I just wasn't big enough and I wasn't really excellent at anything except fishing, <laughs> you know, and I just seemed like every time I went fishing, I, I caught, you know, I caught more and bigger and, and just, you know, I, just something I, I was good at. And when I saw bass tournament start, that was, that was going to be my deal. I made, you know, I, and I said that in my, in my accept, acceptance thing that I said, I was, I'm going to win the Bassmasters Classic one day. And I, you know, and I just, Lord blessed me enough to be able to go and do it. When I was eight years old, I knew I was going to be a cartoonist. When did you really have a good idea that you were going to go pro and become a fisherman? When I first heard about Ray Scott and, and Bass Master. Yeah. You know, I, I just I made up my mind I'm gonna try it. You grew up in Laurel. Number one, what is it about Laurel that produces so many famous people? Because it's there must be something in the drinking water down there. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know. I, it uh, it there has been several come from Laurel and around the area. Yeah, y'all are y'all are doing pretty well. Um, but I know they're super proud of you right now. But you grew up there, and talk about a little bit as a kid, because I'm you know, now I grew up you know in Georgia, but I mean my grandmother lived on the Tennessee River, and so she used to take me out fishing all the time. Did you get? Did you have somebody that kind of taught you the ways uh, and, and how to become a fish whisperer? <laughs> you know, I actually did have a mentor. Uh, when I I was, unfortunately, when I was nine years old, my dad had a pretty bad accident and he was he was crippled for the rest of his life. And and I, you know, he couldn't really do any outdoor stuff with me. And and I was riding my I used to ride my bicycle to my uncle's little pond that was like a mile from our house. And I was riding back one day and I had a stringer of bass and brim hanging from my handlebars. And and this guy just about half a block from our house stopped me. His name was Charlie Reddick. And he stopped me and was talking to me about where I'd been fishing and how much I liked to fish and did I hunt and all this kind of stuff. And, and he, when I told him who I was, he, he knew my dad and my mom pretty good. And and he just, he invited me to go fishing with him one time. And it was like, I was stuck to him like glue after that. We I used to stay over at his house overnight and we'd go fishing early in the morning. He taught me how to, he taught me a lot about fishing. He taught me a lot about hunting. Well, that's great. So I'm, I'm sure is is Charlie still with us? No, he's not. He passed away several years back. I know he'd be proud though to know that you've you've you know you took what he taught you and, and made made a living out of it, which is pretty amazing. On that, you you said you were fishing on your uncle's pond. Is that where you first started fishing? Well, uh, my well, I first started fishing at another uncle's on. He had seven or eight ponds on some land in Richton, and I used to go there and spend a couple of three weeks uh, in the summertime. And with and he had a son that was just like a year older than me or something, and we were constantly going to those ponds fishing, and we had a ball. But that's pretty much where I got I got uh, pretty well hooked on it. Yeah, I was about to say, I was going to say, is that where you got hooked? And I thought, well, that might be a little bit of a pun, but but I think it it probably does. Somebody set the hook at that point anyway. You know, I remember my first fishing pole, and I, and I had the old trusty Zepco 202 uh, reel on it, which basically was indestructible, and you couldn't, you know, you never had to uh, untangle anything. It seemed to be, what, what was the first, um, the first pole you had? Do you remember it? Oh yeah, it was a Zepco. I, I actually think it was. It, it probably was like a little two hundred two, but and it, and it's kind of it's kind of funny because I I used to fish for bluegill all the time. We'd catch crickets and grasshoppers and dick worms and all kinds of stuff like that, and anything to use for bait. I was reeling in a little bluegill one day, and I came. The bluegill came swimming by a log when I was bringing it in, and a big bass swam up under there and ate the bluegill. Oh wow. And it just took off and broke my line and everything, you know. And I'm sitting, I, I remember thinking, I, I'm fishing for the wrong fish. So <laughs> I, I started using bluegill for bait then and started catching bass. Yeah, the light went off on that. Now, I will say this if a bluegill weighed as much as a bass, they fight really well for a little fish. If they were a big fish, they'd be incredible. But it takes a lot of them to have good eating on that. Um, man. 
So you at that point you're like, no, nah, I'm gonna become a bass fisherman. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much after that. It was that's about all I did was fish for bass. My, I got to ask you now. My high school football coach, I've been in touch with him. He's, you know, he's retired now, so he's fishing. And I asked him, I said, did you ever think about going pro? And he said, no. He said, I, I, I probably should have, but, you know, I thought I would become a coach because I wanted to starve. No, he was joking about that. But he um, he had a question for you. i got to find it. As soon as I find the question, I'll ask you. It was basically, um, I think, the number of over 10-pound uh, bass that you've caught it was like over a hundred or something like that. I didn't know if that was true. If you caught that, I mean, because that's a that's quite a haul of big fish. Uh, I don't know that I've caught a hundred, but I I've caught my fair share of, of ten of double digit bass. But uh, I I have a place on Lake Edens, which is between Merid, Laurel and Meridian, mm-hmm. and it's about a seven hundred and eighty acre lake development that the Edens family started back in early 90s. And uh, I've caught a lot of, I don't know how many 10-pounders I've caught out of that lake. Oh, wow. And I bet you know every inch of that lake at this point. Well, I know it pretty good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's your home ground. I was going to ask you on that, because, like, the season gets cranked up in February next year, or, or right at the end of January. What is a What does a season look like for you every year? It's normally... You know, we start in January and pretty much end in, in September. Uh, then we'll have some kind of some things you can qualify for where you'll fish on into the fall. And like I just got back uh, yesterday from from a deal we did with the Major League Baseball players, which is the third year we've done that on Lake Gunnersville in Alabama. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw where you uh, were fishing with a Chicago White Sox uh, first baseman Andrew Vaughn, and I was just thinking you were saying you were pretty good at baseball. Um, was he pretty good at fishing? He was actually. I tell you, he uh, he fished as hard as I did all day long. We fished, we fished in about four or five hours of rain, and and just and we we actually had a couple of little mishaps where we lost a couple of fish, or we we would have won the darn thing, but. We we had a good, really good bag, and we had a great time. Made a friend. That's cool. It's number one. It's always nice to get paired with somebody who's taking it seriously and getting out there and, and knows what they're doing on that. But did did y'all did he offer saying, "Hey, look, you let me come fish for a day. You can come play first baseman for the for the White Sox." <laughs> I don't think they'd want that. <laughs> Well, you never know. I mean, you said you were pretty good at it, so I didn't know. I thought that might be kind of cool. And that could get you in a second time in the Sports Hall of Fame if you could pull that one off. That would be pretty neat on that. But how was Lake Gunnersville? It always seemed like a really nice uh, lake to fish on. Oh, yeah. That's by far the best lake in Alabama, I would say. And it, it is a, it's just an amazing lake. I've, I've fished tournaments on it since the late 1970s. And and it's it just seems like it gets better every time you go there. Yeah, our producer Lacey is from Alabama, and she's over there nodding her head up and down like a bobblehead. So she she agrees with you on that one, Paul. Uh, great conversation so far. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And once again, congratulations for being named to the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, incredible honor, especially considering you were the first fisherman to be inducted. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, thank thank you, Marshall. I appreciate it. I. You know, like I said, it's it's very humbling. 
Yeah, it's humbling. I mean, you obviously, but your longevity too, and it means you obviously have been good at it. Let's talk a little bit because, like I said, you went to Southern Miss. And number one, what did you get your major in? Because it's like editorial cartooning. I don't think they had a fishing major at that point, did they? No, but I, I, I chose the next best thing to it, I guess. I majored in uh, recreation and uh, and mainly uh, recreational resource management. Okay. Which was, you know, and so I, all I wanted to do was get a college degree and go fish bass tournaments. Let's go fish bass. So you had, you had your sight on that. I was going to ask you on this because um, – you know, like for what I did for a living, there wasn't like a path, you know, and, and, and I know there obviously were pro fishermen when you were there. Did How did you figure out a, I mean, obviously, number one, you need a boat. <laughs> number two, I mean, there are steps that you need along the way to become a pro fisherman, but how did you learn the trade and how did you figure out how to get into the, into the field? Well, it was, a uh, like as soon as I got done with college, uh, I came up pretty poor. And I, did, I never owned a boat. Uh, I always had to wait, you know, go fishing with friends that that uh, that had boats and and stuff. So I, my first task was to get a boat. And I, I got out of college. I went offshore and stayed as many days as I could stay until I, you know, needed to come back and and regroup. But I I saved up enough money to buy a bass boat. And it's funny because my I think my first bass boat cost forty seven hundred dollars, and you can't hardly buy that finder for a boat now for that price. But we, uh, but I, I bought that boat and and said I'm I'm gonna get started next year. That was in that was actually in nineteen seventy four, and I fished my first time in nineteen seventy six. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, you know, talk about the price of the boat and everything. My kids would say something to me like, "Well, Dad, you could buy a house for a hundred dollars back then." I was like, "Hey, now wait a minute! Don't don't be giving me grief on that." But what kind of boat did you get the first time? My first boat was a fifteen foot Venture bass boat with a eighty five Johnson motor. Nice, nice. So it what you know you weren't going to do three hundred miles an hour with it or anything, but it got the job done for you. Yeah, it was it was kind of one of the more it was one of the quicker boats at that time. But those were all back then. They were all tri hull boats, and they were they were pretty rough riding and and uh, not really that fast. But it was you know it was kind of the at that time the up to date technology, I guess. So when you entered the tournament, is I mean, was it? How did you did you have to say? How did you prove that you're pro? How did you get into the first tournament? Well, back then it was more or less if you had the entry fee, you could get in if you okay. got in before the tournament filled up. And and you know it was kind of my, I guess my biggest obstacle was most of the guys I was fishing against were long time guides. Yeah, make reservoirs around the country, and. Of course, you know, I was fishing against Bill Dance, Roland Martin, the Murray brothers, you know, guys that um, a lot of, you know, older people are going to recognize all the names, but, but, uh, of course, everybody recognizes Bill Dance and pretty much Roland Martin, but all the key, all the key name, name fishermen back when it first started were still fishing when I started. And I was, you know, I was nervous and I was, you know, can I compete with these guys or not? But after I had a, one or two tournaments under my belt, I could. Uh, it was obvious that 
to me, all you had to do was compete against the fish and not the, guy, the other guys in the boat. Yeah, I think that's it right there. You're competing against the fish on that. And, and it's funny, I saw where you like playing poker and golf um, when you're not fishing, which to me, you know, there there seems to be a little bit of poker and golf when you're out there fishing because, you you know, you've got to be able to – to uh, know know the course, you got to know. I mean, you got to understand the lake. When you're going into a lake for the first time, obviously at this point you've probably fished most every lake that you're going to be competing on, I would imagine. But how do you scout a lake? How do you know? Especially back then, there wasn't really the internet. How did you? How do you know? Or you just kind of say, okay, I know fish now. I know how to be able to actually um, find them and to be able to go hunt them down. Well, back you know back then, it was more. You just rode, you know, you had a little bit of, you know, you had your knowledge on, on what bass, what bass do, but, but, uh, you just rode and looked at lakes and I, you know, and I'd never been to any of these lakes that, that we were fishing and, and I just took the, what knowledge I had and, and applied it to every lake I went to. And I, you know, it, uh, as you, as you, as I started tournament fishing, I started learning more and more how to break lakes down and depending on the season of the year and all that kind of stuff. But it still to this date, it's changing some because of the advancements in sonar, but it's still most tournaments are one less than 10 feet deep. And, and it's, so it's mostly bank beating. And that, and that's kind of where I got my name in the industry was I got away from the bank. I just, I couldn't stand fishing down a bank that somebody else had just fished down and all that kind of stuff. And I just started looking for fish that were away from the bank on uh, sunken islands, roadbeds, things like that. And that's kind of where I started building my name and winning tournaments. Now, I was thinking about that. I was you talking about Bobby Cleveland. Bobby knew every square inch of the reservoir. He knew where the railroad tracks were. He knew where the old roadbeds were. I mean, he knew everything on that. And you just, like you said, I think once you start figuring out where the fish are going to be like that, that kind of gives you that, that, that advantage, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, it, you know, we had to go, we had to do it all off topo maps. And, of course, you've got, you've got navigation charts now on your on your units, but we had to do it. We had to find a, a sunken roadbed or a railroad track, a bridge, you know, anything like we had to just ride and find it. And it was it was a lot harder to do. You'd had to you'd pinpoint it on a map, and then you'd try to judge where it was from the map. And you know, you, it took a lot of riding and looking with with depth finders to do it. And then also know what you know what your what your lure is going to be, what you're going to be fishing with on that day, what the weather's going to do. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of different things, and a lot of it comes with just practice and and learning it just by doing it, right? Yeah, I mean, it. you know, when you have a three- or four-day event and you get a couple of days to, to pre-fish the, the lake, normally it's usually it's off-limits for a certain period of time, and then you have a couple of days before the tournament starts to, to pre-fish a lake. And and when you are when you try to fish like I always did offshore, it seemed like it was always one of those days out of the three or four days was going, the wind was going to blow so bad you couldn't hardly fish away out in the open lake like that you know which cost me several times winning winning events but but it you know you just grin and bear it that's that's one of those things about this sport that you know they didn't used to ever cancel a day it didn't matter what the weather was doing you would you would go out there 
thunder and lightning blowing 25, 30 miles an hour, you went, they, they let you take off. Now they, you know, they've gotten a lot stricter on that kind of stuff and it's because of lawsuits and everything else. They, if it's dangerous weather, they usually cancel the day. But back then they did not. Yeah, I would think the first time somebody got hit by lightning, that probably would bring a few lawyers out. Well, it just, you know, they, there weren't never any, there wasn't ever any really big lawsuits but over anything like that, but it got to the point we lost, you know, we had a few people drown. We're very fortunate. Oh, no, yeah. We, we're very fortunate. And the kind of stuff we used to go out in and the size boats we used to go out in, that we didn't have it happen a lot more times, but... We did. We've had a few people drown and people get swamped and get to the bank. But, but you know, search and rescue type thing, trying to find them once they got on the bank because it was usually, you know, lakes that weren't developed. And so it was it, it was scary stuff. Yeah, nobody had cell phones at that point. So if you, you go out in the middle of nowhere, it takes people a long time to find you on that. I, I've seen that when they've had to cancel on the reservoir before because uh, out in the middle part, it starts looking like the ocean with the white caps and stuff. So I, I get that. I get that. Talk about that first year you were out and, and, you know, and talk about the first time you actually won a tournament. That had to be, that literally did set the hook at that point. You realize, you know what, I can make a go of this. Yeah, you know, it was really my first full year. Uh, I fished a couple other organizations. I fished one BASS tournament in 1976, and then I jumped over and fished a new, a new organization started in competition with bass, and it paid better for the same entry fee. So I went over there and fished two years, and I did really well, but I didn't win one. But I realized that if I was going to make a name for myself, it was going to have to be with with bass. BASS. So I went back to BASS in 79 and I was fortunate enough to win, I think like the third event of the year, uh, in, in, uh, Virginia on Lake Gaston. And, and it was just, it was one of those things where everything fell into place. You know, I found a good, I found a good pattern and it was, I think it was in April and, uh, I was catching fish off the bed. I didn't realize it at the time, but but I was catching fish on top water baits off the beds. Oh, nice. But, and basically on, on the tournaments, there's like X number of places gets a check. So, I mean, the higher you, obviously the higher you place, the bigger check you get. So you want to obviously place, you know, in the top 10 or whatever to get the bigger check so forth. Also too, I mean, on the surviving part, you have sponsors too that help you, right? Yes. And that, that's a major part of it because they're, there are very few anglers that can survive off of just winnings. Yeah. Uh, it's, you, you have to, it's a pretty expensive sport. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's big entry fees, uh, like 5000 $6,000 a tournament sometimes. Wow. Okay. And, you know, and it's, if you, if you go and you stay on the road a week to 10 days and, and gas wise, everything is just very expensive. So, it's you. De- you definitely need sponsors, or you, you're going to have a really hard time making it. Yeah, and I mean they can obviously, you know, there's cash involved, and of course they can, you know, help you with the boat and so forth on that too. Now you're married to Christy, right? Yes. Okay. Did you meet Christy before you turned pro, or did did you meet her after you were already out there? Uh, so she did she know what she was getting into? Yes, she. I didn't meet her before. No, but 
she knew exactly what she was getting into, and she's been 100% behind me the whole time. I figured she must be pretty amazing. Um, does she like to fish also? She fishes with me. She uh, she likes getting in the sun more than more than fishing, but but she 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 definitely likes going on the boat. Your kids like to fish. Yes, I would do. think so. Yeah, uh, that's a good. I got actually four girls that that are that are all pretty good at, pretty handy at it. Oh, really? That's awesome. That's awesome. Saying it was a good way for them to hang out with you too, right? Yeah. That's that's pretty. Where they did who all uh, family came to see you get inducted into the Hall of Fame? Well, just just my wife went with me for the press conference. They, but they'll all come to the definitely come in August to the induction to the banquet. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, you know they're probably going to be so proud they're going to have a hard time getting into the into the room. They're going to be swelled up with pride. So that's that's pretty awesome. I, like I said, I'm I'm thrilled for you on that one. On that. So at this point, like you said you're you've won you're you're making a living on this you're out there getting it done um then you entered the Bassmasters classic in 1982 in montgomery and that was a really big big tournament for you oh it definitely was i you know winning the classic can it builds your career uh it's, people say it's worth you know back then they were saying it was worth a million dollars and when you if you figure everything into it as far as years to come and you know sponsorships that come and all that kind of stuff it it probably was worth a million dollars but but as far as being as far as notoriety and and you know they i think that the industry itself you know i'd already won a tournament in 79 and then i won the classic in 82 and and they're kind of they're thinking okay well that 79 wasn't just luck and then I turned around and won another one in 83, another tournament. And so that just kind of locked me in the industry. Yeah. You yeah, know. you were you were a name at that point. Yeah. So I, that's that's probably more what – but that winning the Bassmasters Classic is, you know, it's just the, the ultimate thing in bass fishing. Now, of course, Angler of the Year, which I've never won, is a really big deal. But, but there's definitely more put on the Classic than there is anything. Definitely. I mean, it's kind of like winning an Oscar or a Pulitzer or, you know, whatever in in your industry uh, or a Super Bowl, I guess, would be, be like that, too, as well. And like I said, my coach knew who you were, and I figure he's pretty plugged in. So that was – and, of course, I knew who you were, too. I was I was thrilled when you received the honor, and I just thought it was great because, hey, everybody I I've, I've know that knows you knows what a good guy you are as well. You know, the business has changed. Gosh, I was just thinking how much it must have changed since the early – well, hell, everything has changed since the since the early 80s, uh, come to think of it. Um, you know, now we have the Internet. Now we have Facebook. Now we have social media. And, and I see you're pretty busy on that too. You do a good job. But, I mean, talk about that. Talk about how the, just the, the job of being a professional fisherman has changed in the time that you've been in the career. Yes, it it really really has. You know, it it's still a lot of the sponsorships and stuff are still strongly performance based, but they're also they they look at social media that as one of the probably as high or more than than your way you finish in the tournaments. They they are just all of them required, and I I am not anywhere near on top of that. So it's 
it makes it a lot harder. I don't know what age has to do with it or anything, but I noticed, you know, like these younger guys, their wife or girlfriends walking around with them constantly got recording stuff and posting for them and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So they're just, you know, it's just, they're making seven or eight posts a day where I'm making one, one or two a week, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a, it's a big deal. And it, it's something that if a, a young, younger guy's planning on trying to become a professional fisherman, he's definitely going to have to have that talent, which most of them do anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the ones that are getting into the business now pretty much were born with a phone in their hand. Yeah, and I, you know, and it's it's really that's the progress that this this sport has made, and you know, with the high schools and the college and all that kind of stuff, we we didn't have any of that. And when once a guy goes, it's always just like football or baseball or basketball. Once they go through through high school and college, competing in a sport. By the time they come out of college, they're ready. Yeah, you know they they're ready to hit hit the scene, and, and so the competition's gotten just a lot tougher. I, I people laugh at me because I I'd say I got underwear older than several of the kids that are kicking my butt <laughs> on the water. You know, I mean it's just crazy. Yeah, sorry, I was just uh, I love that line. That's pretty funny. Um, but like you said, I, I was just thinking about because my son's high school has a bass team. I mean, they, yeah. I would have given anything for a bass team when when I was in high school. That'd be great. I, I probably wouldn't have as many aches and pains from playing football, you know, if I'd been on the bass team. Um, that probably would have been kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah, my high school, there, Orlando Wilson went to my high school. So it's like, oh. yeah, which I don't think had anything to do with anything, but I was always like, oh, okay. So that kind of always got my – I remember because I used to watch it on TV, and I was always amazed when you'd see these guys on TV, and it looked like they were just literally pulling one fish after another in. And then one day I figured out there's this thing called editing uh, because I, I noticed the sun would change positions and so forth. So they were they were probably filming that over a, a amount of time on that. It, one of the things I really um, – you said that you love to teach kids how to fish. And and I was thinking about – you know, I was thinking about Charlie Reddick when when I read that and the fact that you you literally were given that gift of having somebody in your life that taught you to fish, and now you get to give back on that. And there was a – you had a great post on your, your Facebook. Uh, you were teaching a fourth grader how to fish, and she'd caught her first fish. How rewarding is that to know that you're at the stage now in your career where you can give back the gifts that were given to you? Uh, it's an awesome feeling to watch those kids have such a good time. I mean, they, you know, they don't, uh, and, and it's and it's crazy how many kids don't have access to it. You know, and, and when you when you can when you can get a child like that, that, that I remember that little girl that was down in Alabama, and it, and she uh, she was just lit from ear to ear, you know, and you, and you feel it, you know, you, you, it's something she's going to remember probably for the rest of her life, you know, and it's, it's an awesome deal to work with them. I, you know, I watch my grandkids when I take them fishing, they just, they just have a ball. Oh, I bet. I bet. What do you, what do y'all just fish or brim with them with the little ones? Uh, oh, we fish for bass. Okay. You know, I got them all decked out with, with the, something they can, cast easy enough and it gets a little hectic sometimes with yeah you got two or three in the trying to fish at the same time <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's they have a ball when they when they catch 
Have they gotten to the point now where they can take it off the hook? And, and have you taught any of them how to? Because I don't know how old they are, but have you, are they point where they're learning how to clean the fish too? No, they like what they they'll watch, but they're they're not cleaning them yet. Okay, <laughs> very good. Yeah, I think I was about forty before I, <laughs> I got to that point. On that. My grandmother would take me out. We like on the Tennessee River, and the stripers would start running, and so she had a little little tiny little V hull. Uh, runabout with a little tiny Everrude motor on it. Um, Evinrude, I always called it the Everrude. And I mean, this boat literally was unstable. It was dangerous. It was a death trap. But she had more fun in it because she'd go chase barges around and jump the wake and everything else. She was she was great. She was like in her 60s and crazy. She was just wonderful. And um, if you ever heard of Dave Ramsey, my cousin, he and I shared her as a grandmother. And so she, the woman just loved to fish. And so she'd always drag me out there. But when the stripers would run, she'd throw a spoon on there and we'd go out right in the middle of them and just go out and pull fish in one after another. And, uh, you know, it's just those memories that, that I mean, your grandkids are going to remember you forever just from getting to have those kind of memories. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy every minute with them. Yeah, that's fantastic. You're listening now. You're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. I'm back with Paul Elias. He's the very first bass fisherman to be inducted into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Um, you know, once again, you know, we've talked a little bit about the honor on that. You're going in with a great class. You're probably going to be hanging out with, you know, Eli Manning and, and you know, yeah. just it, it, I mean, seriously, that that's a fantastic honor. I know your family's going to be there. It's going to be a, just a, a great evening as well. Uh, and of course, the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame is just a treasure anyway to have it. All right, let's talk a little bit about fishing. Um, and since I'm a cartoonist, you know, I, I'm not an expert on it. Um, my knowledge is pretty limited, but I know enough to be dangerous with a fishing pole. Let's talk about the lakes in Mississippi where you fish. Do you have any favorites here that you like to fish? There's some that you think are really good that you would recommend people if they want to get out and try to catch some fish. Well, Mississippi's got a lot of really good lakes. They're you know they're smaller lakes than uh, than a lot of the states have, but I would have to say probably Pickwick Lake up in North Mississippi would be yeah would be my favorite. Uh, Ross Barnett is a great lake. It's a it's a shallower reservoir. It's a, it's it's probably the biggest reservoir as far as uh, what the state has to offer. That being in Mississippi, of course, Pickwick's bigger, but it's most of Pickwick is in is in Alabama and Tennessee. But uh, they're they the Sardis Reservoir is making a from what I understand, I haven't been on it in several years, but it's making a strong comeback. Uh, Enid is the same way so i mean there's a lot of lakes to choose from in mississippi they had some really excellent fishing yeah i was just thinking about the you know the ross barnett one of course they there's they left a lot of timber and so forth in part of the lake too so there's a lot of different variety of, of places to fish on it yeah uh, barnett is really known for its lily pads and you know frog throwing uh, frogs and things like that on top of the lily pads it's a it's an excellent lake. It's an exciting lake to fish when that's going on, uh, but it's it's it can be a really really good lake. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that you you know an 850 acre lake. I know the one I'm I live on is about that size too. That's a good sized lake usually for bass and so forth. It seems like there's a lot of lakes like that, a lot of private lakes that are that are pretty good size in the state. Yeah, and they offer excellent fishing. Of course, you got to be with a property owner or something, you know. But right, but they, you know, they grow. Usually, they're managed by 
by a company that knows what they're doing, and they, they really have turned into great fisheries. Yeah, I like to, you know, my kids love to fish, and, you know, it's always fun to to be able to do a little bit of dock fishing and so forth. But, you know, I did that same thing that I was, we were brim fishing with them when they were little, and I had a, just a huge bass just boom, come out of nowhere and take that out. And I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to we're gonna keep doing this a little bit. Talk about, okay, you're at the point in your career where, I mean, I mean, you're still out there on the road and you're still, I mean, you know, you're doing several tournaments a year. Is this something you're going to keep doing for a while? Or do you see, because I would say, how do you retire from, from fishing? Um, do you, what do you do? Do you go fishing? <laughs> Probably you play golf too, but believe me, your sponsors will retire you if you don't. If oh you, yeah. If you don't handle it. But I, you know, I, I don't know year from year now, Marshall. I'm just kind of, I, you know, I'm kind of going with the flow and, and uh you know getting pretty much getting my rear end posted uh, at most tournaments you know i just it it's it's harder and harder to compete against those younger guys but i still you know i still have the burning to do it and i still know that i that i've over the past few years that i've gotten to uh to the i found areas that I could have won or should have won the tournament in and just had things go wrong. Maybe, you know, my fault or something, some other fault. But once I can still do that, you know, while I can still do that, I'm going to keep competing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't stop because like I said, it's something you love to do. And, um, it, and that says a lot about your ability and your career that you've been doing it for as long as you've been doing it and your sponsors are still hanging with you and and i know you're enjoying it and it gives you a chance to travel around the country so you're dragging your boat all over pretty much all over the united states that's uh that the travel to me would be probably the hardest part well it is and uh, you know that's the that's the uh main drawback to the sport is is having to pull a boat everywhere you go now some of the guys hire drivers and and just fly in you know and uh, i mean i've never done that and never will but but i i uh well, i used to could drive 1200 miles a day and you know i'd be tired but i could do it yeah i can't i, I can't uh, about 900 now is my is my max and i'm really wore out when i do that that's i mean think about it. it's 400 miles from here to atlanta so that's a that's a lot of driving in one day. So that's taking you a good tr- across a good chunk of the country when you're doing it. Yeah, it, I mean we, you know, we do we. I average putting about thirty something thousand miles a year on, you know, on a truck and boat, uh, just because of a lot of lakes you go to ahead before the one thirty day cutoff or something like that, just to look at them and stuff, you know. And, yeah. And so. You put a you put a lot of miles in, but it's uh, you know, and I, getting up in years it makes it harder. And my wife's getting up in years too, and I, you know I don't like to leave her as much as I as much as I have to. So, I mean, those are the things I'm gonna have to look at in, in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can completely understand. I was gonna ask you if she ever came with you on any of the trips, but um, I'm, I'm sure it's a business trip, so you're probably pretty busy the whole time, so you don't really have a chance to to hang out with her. Well, she used to travel with me more than she does now. We, we, she's a she is a dog person, and we Uh-oh. we had two two great Danes, and it makes it kind of 
it makes it kind of tough. She doesn't like leaving them at all. So you mean you don't throw two Great Danes in the back of your truck? I mean, the you know, in your cab of your truck and go somewhere? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I got a terrier, and she's already enough when I throw her in the car. I was just thinking Great Danes are like horses, so they're pretty good sized pups. On yeah, that. They're, they're- they're great dogs. Though. Oh, they are. They're fantastic. We had one that lived next door to us that used to literally steal the wood off our wood pile. He'd go running across the street with it like a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> and then he'd leave a giant present in our yard. And then, of course, that caused my dad to cuss, but I digress. But, yeah, they're fantastic dogs. They really are. So, well, is there anything that I haven't touched on? Because, like I said, we're, we're coming up. We've got a few more minutes of the show. But, I mean, obviously um, – I mean, it sounds like the good Lord has blessed you with an, an incredible career to get to do what you love to do, and you figured out, I guess, through trial and error how to do it, and you've done a really great job with it. And and it's just really great to get to meet you and talk to you. Well, I appreciate it, Marshall. I appreciate you having me on the show. And like I said, you know, I'm very humbled to be inducted into the Sports Hall of Fame, and, you know, we're just going to take it a day at a time and see see what happens in the coming years. I I intend to keep competing, and I, and I'd like to just say something to some young kids that are thinking about becoming professional fishermen. Uh, you've get the roads paved to do that now with high school and college events, and so uh, you know, just it's just you and the fish. I was going to ask you how many fishing poles do you have now? I uh, I usually keep about thirty in my boat. Thirty in your boat. Yeah. So you're like a you're like a rock guitarist in guitars. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, you never know what you're going to run into, what situation you're going to run into. So, you know, there may only be two or three out on the deck when I'm fishing, but I've got I've got plenty of them in the two rod lockers in the boat. So when you get up in the morning and you're out there looking at weather conditions and everything else, you just kind of plan out kind of what what you're going to use for bait and what you're going to use for 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 a rod and everything else. Oh yeah, I okay. usually have, you know, I usually have pretty much knowledge of what I'm going to be doing that day. Yeah, see, that's why you're very successful at what you do, and I would be an abysmal failure because I'd probably just go out there and go fish, and you know, it's like, well, didn't catch anything today, and that that's the end of my career on that. Um, so, obviously, are you done with the season for this year? So you get to just kind of kick back and enjoy the holidays, or are you gonna, you you're out doing other tournaments like you said you did that one with the with uh, Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, that that was my last event for the year. Okay, so that's cool. So you get to hang around the house a little bit, hang with the pups, and get to enjoy a little time with your family. Yep. Did you ask Santa for a new boat or anything this year? <laughs> no, I actually, I just I just sold my boat. The guy that bought it was from North Carolina, and he drove down to Gunnersville and picked it up after the base, baseball player deal and. My new one's ready. I've got to get. I've got to go to Arkansas and pick it up. What kind you get? A bass cat. I got. I've worn run bass cat for the last seven or eight years, and I, I got their top of the line when the Jaguar. Very nice. Yeah, really nice. You so so Santa's bringing you a really nice boat for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we know how Santa works now at this at this point in our lives, so you're going to have to write the check. But anyway, man, congratulations. And once again, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. That is an incredible honor. Like I said, you're going in with a great class, but they're thinking, yeah, we, well, we get to go with Paul Elias, so that's pretty awesome too. 
I appreciate it, Marshall. Paul, great show today. Thank you so much for being with us. And I want to thank you for listening and a special thanks to our guests for joining us. If you'd like to hear this or any past episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast. That's right. Listen to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or on our MPB public media app. Now You're Talking is a production of MPB Think Radio with episode and podcast produced by Lacey Alexander. Thank you, Lacey. I appreciate that. So stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit coming up next. Hey, join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Have a great week and a great Thanksgiving. That's coming up just right around the corner. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.